0: This official podcast coverage of AusCert's 2012 conference is brought to you by Arbor Networks, Smart, Available, Secure, Datacom TSS, Discreet, Niche, Tailored, and Sophos, Secured. Hey there and welcome to this Risky Business Podcast from AusCert's 2012 conference, I'm Patrick Gray. The following is a complete recording of an absolutely fascinating presentation by Robert Clark. He's the operational attorney for the US Army Cyber Command. His presentation examines the legal regimes surrounding cyberspace operations. He looks at the legal underpinnings of computer network security, defence, exploitation and attack. It is absolutely riveting stuff, and I hope to be catching up with Mr. Clark at some point during the conference to ask him about six million questions. But until then, enjoy this. Robert Clark's OSSER 2012 conference presentation. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the legal aspects of cyberspace operations. Uh, it's kind of a different bent. This kind of covers, uh, typically I speak on legal aspects of the internet, which have a lot of crime, search and seizure laws. This is actually more of a direction of covering international law dealing with cyberspace operations. Now, I'm forced to say the word cyber. I, I can't stand the word. I, I hate the word. When I got in this business, it was computer network operations. But cyber is the sexy word now. Um, and ironically, the other talk, I've been joking for months now. With funding being cut back in the government and DOD, I say, you know, if you want like porta potties, if you put the word cyber in front of it, you can get those things because they're cyber porta potties and you'll get money from them left and right. And of course, they say, well, what's the difference between that and the normal? I'm like, I'll put a mice pad in there, a little keyboard, and they'll let them do whatever they want. But so from that aspect, so basically, I will go back and forth using the sexy word of cyber or computer network operations. Um, I have to give a disclaimer. I am, everything I say here is in a personal capacity, I'm not representing Department of Defense the United States, the United States government, or the United States Army because they don't want to be responsible for my errors, so my errors remain with me um, on that aspect. And everything I've got here is uh, from unclassified material. My background, how I got into this, uh, I started many moons ago in the Army Computer Emergency Response Team, the Army CERT, uh, got in this. Uh, jumped up and became the legal advisor for the Navy, chief information officer. Um, went up and played with DHS uh, for several years. The first thing you need to learn about about going to work for DHS um, is how to get out. And so when the Army, uh, or when Cyber Command, United States Cyber Command, which is a guy by the name of General Alexander who has four stars on his shoulders, I guess it'd be eight, um, When they stood up Cyber Command, all the services stood up theirs to fall underneath it, which was the United States Army Cyber Command, and I don't want to lose my job, so I don't have anything else on my resume that's not supposed to be there whatsoever. Um, For those of you who speak code, Um, I'm a wanderer, so I move around. When you have a town with one attorney, they can make pretty decent living you know, they do wills, estates, trusts, contracts for people who live in the town. If you get a town with two attorneys, they can make a fortune. Because one will write, you know, uh, a contract and one will review it and you start suing each other and the lawyers start making a lot of money. The people don't like it, but we we make a lot of money. Because when you ask a lawyer, um, what's one plus one? If you ask somebody in the math business or a computer scientist, they'll say, well, being integers and being positive or negative, but two positive ones added together will be two. If you ask a lawyer what 1 plus 1 is, they will say, what do you want it to be? Um, And from that aspect, you can get many different opinions when you ask lawyers the same question. So the aspect of that acronym there, um, who knows what the I-A-N-Y-L means? Shout it out. I am not your lawyer. Um, If you have any questions at any time. Um, I do like the Socratic method, which is how they they pester us and hamper us at law school and torture us. So if you have any questions, feel free to torture me. Shout them out, raise your hand, and we'll move right to what you want to focus on. So um, from that aspect, um, we're going to look into uh, what cyberspace operations are. Um, well, it's a pleasure to be at the last assert that's ever gonna happen in the world. Um, so from that aspect, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I've committed a bunch of crimes while I've been here, and I figure I'll get out of the country, and the world to end before I can be extradited back, so, um, you know, that'll be a great thing. Um, a final thought, I always wonder how timely this topic is from a, a legal, international perspective of cyber operations, and, um, when you look at uh, the different things that are out there, May 14th, you know, cyber war. Um, May 10th, you know, our our Secretary of Defense is, is treading lightly around Chinese cyber attacks. And then you have, I mean, if there's not enough information that you're getting on your own, um, then you have people, um, you know, that are sending you stuff. Iran, the next cyber threat. And then, you know, you get people like from the UN who are sending you stuff like, um, uh, good friends uh, and that we're not worried about anything but you know this was an interesting article because Wired said we don't know which is worse Americans are now worried about a cyber Armageddon so they're buying all the BS that's being shoveled to them that we're gonna the world's ending and yet but they're not worried about 9-11 threats anymore so they're kind of like they're kind of balancing which they thought the threats were so there's a lot of uh, interest apparently in this topic and one last final thought before we begin I've found this quite to be a truism uh, since I've been here, and I love Australia um, and, and the environment that it brings with it. This is the only slide I'm deviating from the cyberspace operations, because I get asked a lot uh, you know, about the, the hackers and that aspects, and, and apparently the US court system loves hackers. Um, from that aspect, they arrange to enhance their sentences by a couple degrees if you are a hacker. Mr. Prockner here... Um, was arrested and he had the right to remain silent, but he clearly did not have the ability uh, to remain silent. And so he gave a detailed statement uh, of his carding activities. Interesting, you know, back in 2005, and, and in the internet aspects, that's light years ago, but he gave a, a nice detailed statement of what he did and he was nice enough to re- put it down into writing. And then he went to court, they convicted him, and the judge says, I'm sentencing you higher because you had special skills. And you use these skills to commit the crime. And whenever you have special skills, such as, you know, a lawyer, a pilot, a demolition expert, and I love the aspects of, you know, you see a lawyer and a demolition expert getting convicted together and going to the same jail cell, I mean, you know, it would be beautiful. Um, but so he said, wait a second, no, 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 I don't have any special skills. You know, I, I didn't go to school. Um, like the guy from Yahoo, I don't have a computer science degree. Um, I'm, I'm basically was self-taught. And they said, well, if you self-teach yourself these skills, That's enough too, we can enhance your skill level on this. Now, with what's available to commit crime now out there where it's web-based and anybody can do it, it's kind of an interesting aspect now, but, you know, you're still gonna see your sentences enhanced if you're gonna be hacking away. I'm glad I put the slide in here after, uh, Uh, Miko spoke this morning because, yeah, hey, I'm with the government and and the governments are in the business of offensive cyber operations now. And that's not an offensive cyber uh, operation is not me sending you a text saying, hey, you're a moron. Um, an offensive cyber operation is actually using force. Um, and it's regulated under the law of armed conflict, which has stood up in international norms for, for many years. International and law of armed conflict has regulated battle since ad infinitum, you know, uh, on that, really really 1600s and you don't want to go down that path because it's boring and re- just a few of us really focus on it and really get excited at the bar when we want to talk about it. But when we passed the international strategy for cyberspace and DOD followed up with its operating cyberspace, we said, this is a fifth domain. It's like land, air, sea and space. We're going to defend it the same way. And oh, by the way, if you hit us with a cyber attack, we might drop a bomb down your, your, your shorts. Um, if that's the case. Now, we're going to do it under the law of armed conflict, but this was the first time that, that governments have really gone forward and really stepped out there and said, this is a space that we're going to defend to ensure our freedom to act. And it starts with our president. Right now, our efforts in the government fall under the uh, Cyberspace, no, the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative, too many acronyms. Um, the CNCI, is 12 areas that the government, the, the Bush administration, put out there uh, to move forward on. Um, the three ones that we really kind of look at, don't do that, um, are the trusted internet connections. Number two up there, deploy passive sensors, is the Einstein two sensors you might read about. It's an intrusion detection system. And we're trying to figure out how to move forward on three with uh, uh, intrusion prevention systems. So this is what the US government's kind of working on as far as their policy for cybersecurity. Our cybersecurity policy must be based on law, or the constitution, or the law, a statute. And, and so we've, we've been working very hard for that. Moving into more of a general aspect of computer network defense and computer network security. It, it kind of came out of uh, the common law, which came over from England on that, and developed with the trespass to chattel. If I own property, I, I can defend it, I can take care of it. This basis of being able to take care of your own property really favors preventing any damage to it, as opposed to the post-action of when it's gone, going and getting recovery. And we see that in cybersecurity. I get a lot of aspects of people saying, I want to hack back, I want to hack back, I want to attack, I want to I melt his machine. And, and, you know, like, okay, first aspect, why? Because I'm pissed, and I'm not talking drunk. I am upset, I am angry. Um, Patrick, that's the best I'm going to come up with as far as a, as a joke that I, you know, I got put on a risky business and and these guys laugh way too much during their show. Um, But it's an aspect of, you know, I always hear that and I'm like, why? Why do you want to hit back? Because I'm upset. I'm like, okay, if you take your box offline, patch it, secure it against the vulnerability, put it back up, does that solve the problem? Yes. Have a nice day, go do that, you know, come back when you really want to do something exciting. So the prevention piece is big. Because we don't like people going over and destroying things. You know, and under the self-defense aspect, which kind of comes into here, if you're in the place you have a right to be, you can defend yourself with with certain aspects that it's gotta be necessary. And we're gonna see some of these these factors when you get to the law of armed conflict and actually getting into a cyber attack piece of it. But, you know, for computer network security, this is the big thing. When I got involved in this and had a first mentor um, give me a migraine after five minutes of talking about an operation they were gonna run, he asked me, Bob, what's, what's the law of the internet? And I was kind of sitting here going, oh, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to appear really stupid, as stupid as I am right now, I said, um, Electronic Communication Privacy Act, you know, which is our wiretap statute. Uh, Fourth Amendment. He goes, nope, RFC. And I'm like, RFC, uh, okay, Radio Frequency Communications. He's like, God, you really are dumb, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I just got here. Um, so RFC, request for comments. And if you go to request for comments. There are definitions there in a glossary that cover all this, but you know again we 're government, we get paid actually, we take your taxes, do you pay us, and we, we have to justify our jobs, so we do things, so we write definitions so you 've got events, incidents, intrusions, and attacks, and with all due respect to all my friends out here doing this, we have never seen a cyber attack because i 'm looking at a very specific of what a cyber attack is. Stuxnet was not a cyber attack Estonia nope. Georgia? Nope. The pipeline that exploded in the 80s that some people are saying, yeah, yeah, that was malicious code, and other guys are saying, that wasn't malicious code, which is kind of the aspect of it. So we have not seen a cyber attack. Now, my fun aspect is when I'm on the other side here and I have an intrusion or an incident occur, I'll have a sysadmin call me up and say, hey, uh, Bob, we had one of our sensors pop for porn. Great. Wonderful. It's going to be a good day. Move the user away from the desk, have them go to lunch. And early lunch, Sir, it's only 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, let them have a liquid lunch. Get them out of here. Um, and off they go. I pick up the phone. Who do I call? I call my cops. And I'm like, hi, guys. Um, I had a sense of for porn. You know what they say? Is it child porn? I don't know. I didn't look at it. And they're like, well, go look at it. And they hang up. Hello? Where are you? Where'd you go? So I pick up the phone, talk to my sysadmin. I say, hey, was it child porn? He's like, I don't know. I didn't look at it. I'm like, hey, go look at it. And I hang up on him. So they go look at it, call back, hey, no, it's not child porn. I'm like, great. I call the cops. Yep, nope, not child porn. They hang up on me. They're gone. They don't care anymore because they're busy. So now what was a law enforcement aspect is now just a system admin thing. It's a violation of computer use policy and away we go. Now I have a situation where, you know, a foreign IP address comes in from some, like, Brazil or something. And I got counterintelligence guys going, hey, that's mine, foreign intelligence. I'm all over that. That's mine. But I have the cops saying, hey, Remember a couple of years ago, those two teenage kids from Montana who came into our system from a foreign IP address and you were all over that and it became a domestic crime thing? It's a crime. Whenever someone hacks my computer, I have primary jurisdiction. Then I got the guy who owns the box saying, can you guys children go fight in the doorway all over there? I just want to clean the damn thing, get it back up online and have my command do its job. So these organizations work so swimmingly together, um, to get the job done. And, and that's kind of where we're all riding in computer network security. Now to do this so as to not violate anybody's privacy or civil liberties rights, because there's a, you know, a couple organizations in the United States, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, um, EPIC, ACLU, I love these guys, absolutely love them. Because you know something, they've got to be out there. At the end of the day, if they place their arguments in front of a judge, and government places their arguments in front of the judge, and I can't win, I shouldn't win. They should win, and that protects everybody while we're doing security and privacy. It's very important. So, from our aspect, when we're doing it, the first thing we're using is the consent aspect of having logon banners, workplace policies, and training. So, we get their consent. So, you know, when we're there in the government, you know, you consent to being monitored, you have no expectation of privacy. We also have statutes that say, hey, you can't, you know, intercept electronic communications, but we do have an exception. Or it's called the service provider exception, meaning if if I own it, if I'm providing it, I can defend it. It came out of the blue box cases, uh, which were the ATT cases. Uh, Many of you are much too young to remember this. There was a time when you actually had to pay for long-distance phone calls. Um, I know it's a foreign concept because I can pick up my iPhone, call home, and it's, well, except for the exorbitant uh, charge of roaming fees I get charged now, um, you know, you used to be able to, on the phone, you would get charged, and the guy discovered if you took the whistle out of the Cap'n Crunch box and blew into the phone with a whistle, he'd get to ATC servers and actually make long-distance phone calls. They had to tailor that for how they were going to intercept that information, and, and where they recorded it just to identify the phone number, those cases went forward and those were good. If they recorded too much of it, the cases were thrown out. So again, you've got to tailor what you're doing for defending your systems on this. In my humble opinion, because in computer network security and the three-way handshake, I don't know where that vulnerability is going to come in, I don't know if it's going to be broken up, I can do a full packet capture of all the material, put it on my sensors, running my snort box with rules and signatures against it, looking at anomaly detection on it, and I see that that's tailored to computer network security and computer network defense. Moving on to the fun topics everybody likes. Hey, espionage, spying, all right? Fun aspect about espionage is it ain't illegal. Not at all. I mean, spying and espionage, uh, you know, is not illegal under international law. Everybody does it. And so, if you've got a situation where you're not causing any damage, you know, no destructive acts, you're just collecting information under under international law, it is not illegal. Under domestic law, oh yeah. So from that aspect, we have domestic statutes that say, you can't spy on us and steal our stuff, but under international law, it's not unlawful. Where stuff becomes fun is, you know, the use of force aspect on life. Um, and violating somebody else's territorial sovereignty. The use of force piece is very interesting. So if I'm flying uh, my uh, U-2 over Russia, you know, what can you do? Can you shoot it down? What's the defense that you can do? Now I always say this to my students, I'm like okay, say, I'm U-2, I've been flying over your country for like the last three years, not once have I dropped a bomb. I got this neat little camera on the bottom, i take pictures left and right. You launch your entire Air Force, is that a proportional response to me flying over your territory? Most of your lawyers who are going to give you advice in international law are going to say, you know, send a couple jets up there, scramble them, you know, point the weapons at them, get missile lock and hightail them out of there. So from that aspect, it's proportional, it meets the threat that you're facing. But then I'm like that one time, I'm like, okay, so what about that one time when I don't have the camera, then I just have one bomb? You know, you don't know what the threat's going to be. And that's kind of really big when we get into the, uh, the cyber world of life, because what is the difference between being on a box, owning it, and having, you know, a Trojan sitting there waiting to go off? As I mentioned before, the main reason we don't complain about computer exploitation, everybody's doing it, is, is the theory aspect on life. So again, one of the aspects where I say when you're dealing with spies, if you're behind enemy lines, you know, you can be arrested and prosecuted under their domestic law. If you're doing this right and you're a decent cyber spy, you'll, you'll never be in their territory doing it. If you figure out, hey, I'm going to go in their territory and go to their cyber cafe and do it from there, you should probably think again how you're doing your operations aspects of life. You don't have to go into their country to actually spy on it. So that's one aspect that's going to be different for our good old cyber spies. Cyber terrorism, what is it? Dan, good question. Was Stuxnick it? Eh, could it be? Um, we're looking at adapting, you know, our, our traditional terrorism statutes uh, to deal with this. You know, the difference between murder and terrorism, you know, is a motive based thing uh, on that aspect and what the purpose is. And we're, we're typically looking at something that's intended to coerce or intimidate. And to do that, we're looking at the effects based aspect or the intent based aspect. I'm trying to spread fear. Uh, out there. Um, and that's going to be the next, you know, we hear a lot of the aspects of terrorist use of the internet, and these are some of the things that we're going to start looking at to determine how am I going to handle this. Is it going to be a military tribunal, as we've seen military tribunals? Is it going to be the court system? Court system open and functioning? Where did I get the habeas gravis on this individual? Was the individual overseas? Am I going to extradite them? And, and these are all the issues that the legal community is really working through as we move forward. Law of armed conflict. You know, is a computer network attack an act of war? Well, we haven't had an act of war in a long time. We haven't had the declaration of war in a long time. So there's the aspect of saying armed attack, use of force uh, as, as we move forward. The UN developed the charter uh, that basically said we are to refrain from the threat or use of force, 2-4. Article 51 provides for your self-defense. Now. From a United States perspective, that we've had such great media coverage over for a long time now, is the anticipatory self-defense. Meaning, if I see that you're staging your your troops at the border, I don't need to wait until I'm invaded to defend myself. If I see your troops all staging at the border, you know, they're all there, I I can launch a preemptive attack under anticipatory self-defense to defend myself, send the Air Force over, drop some bombs, because I don't have to take the hit before I can defend myself. How's that work in cyberspace? Well, it's kind of an interesting question because, you know, if I'm if my systems are all screwed up um, and they're running around my unclassified government information systems, can I strike back now? Anticipatory self-defense. You know, how much of my systems have to be hacked before this is a use of force? Because the United States government does not make a distinction between use of force and an armed attack. All armed attacks are pretty much a use of force. Not all use of forces qualify as armed attacks. What if I've got intrusions into my system, and now I'm seeing what might be coordinated systems into my nation's air traffic control system? Where am I now on that sliding scale? Banking and financial systems go down. If it's all part of this cyber pull harbor that the experts and pundits say is coming down the road, which really isn't going to. Um, you know, where can I respond? Public utilities are coming on now. Basically we're talking, you know, floodings, you know, your smart grids, everything, death, destruction, mayhem, unclassified military logistics systems, I've got to move things around to get military folks to different places if I'm facing a threat. Now I really start hacking and causing problems into the military fuel systems, things going around there. Where is my aspect of, am I at a use of force, am I not at a use of force? So these are all aspects that we're looking at as we move forward. I'm starting to interfere with my ability to conduct military operations. Now the fun aspect on this is when you sit there and say, wow, okay, so you guys answer that question. No, what is considered a use of force is very nation state specific. What one nation, I I, kind of joke about the aspect of, you know, when I'm listening, you know, like I said, the risky business, like, RSA suffered a, a, a APT, you know, advanced persistent threat, and took them down. And it's like, and they said, yeah, when it happens to the other guy, it's not an advanced persistent threat. They're just sloppy. But when it happens to you, it's an advanced persistent threat. So basically, I, I had an advanced persistent threat because my son went down and reset my wireless router so he gets get to different illegitimate sites he shouldn't be going to, when I thought I had the thing locked down. So I, I had an advanced persistent threat because it happened to me. And, and, and that's the aspect of when we're dealing with law of conflict and the use of force, who defines what that is? And typically, what's going to happen is the state that it happens to gets, has a say in that. Now, if you're talking about the insertion of code into a system with no, no, you know, lying dormant, not causing problems, just taking information out, it is not going to rise to the scale of a use of force. Now, it's an interesting aspect. You know, if you've got your military facilities. You know, and it's the old spy versus spy, and you know, the guy's got the black hat and the, and the overcoat, and he's wandered down the hall. You're kind of, kind of say, hey, we probably shouldn't let this guy in here. Can someone arrest him? But yet, computer systems and cyber can let things run all over the place, so it's kind of a game changer. It's a new thing. So, one other aspect uh, that we get is law of armed conflict and espionage. So, if it's a nation state, law of armed conflict applies, And you have the aspects of international law applying that, use of force, and your your different answers that you want for that. If it's individuals, that's a criminal activity. And from a criminal activity, law of armed conflict doesn't play. My law enforcement plays. So back to our aspect of really defining computer network attack. So I whittled things down because we had 40 minutes here. I talked fast. Um, I pulled out a couple slides. When you're defining what a use of force is, um, there have been, and we have lawyers who write on this topic, there's a couple good law review articles written, and it says that we've never codified or we've never had a, a writing on what the use of force is. The UN just released one in 2010 to codify what armed aggression and aggression is, so that's no longer the, the standard. But What they said was, what they look at is scope and intensity. Um, and, and going back to the aspect of it's a sliding scale, they found some 30-hour conflicts that rose to the level of armed attack, and they found some three-year ones that didn't. So again, it's a sliding scale, and one of the aspects is, you know, the nation-state that it happened to, it gets to decide and announce whether they have suffered a use of force or an armed attack. So let's talk about Stuxnet. Stuxnet was kind of a neat military campaign, uh, I said the word military, and that was a faux pas. I don't know if it was a military campaign. Richard Clark does. He's no relation to me. Um, and uh, it was a good campaign. I mean, because w- at least if you look at the open source aspects out there, um, it got into the supply chain. So it would get into a Siemens machine. Not only do they put it into a supply chain, then you have recent reporting that, well, there was an insider threat. So if you're going to target something, you're going to find different vectors to go down. So you're going to do the supply chain. You're going to do the insider threat. You know, as we all know, went down, went on the Siemens machine, had to have the Iranian or the Finnish uh, devices inside there to spe- speed up and slow down the centrifuges. Um, I have a Siemens air controller in my hotel here. I think the same thing was going on because it kept speeding up and slowing down, speeding up, and the device didn't even change. It looked the same, so that's why I'm kind of a little tired this morning. Uh happened all last night. It was terrible. Um, but so I've got, you know, the whole aspect going in there where it's going to slow It had two digital certificates, so that it would be valid going forward until one popped as being bad, and there was a campaign to do a denial service on the SCADA report board for those digital certificates long enough for the other one to come up for another 24 hours and keep running. And then, as my... Uh, then, and this is... Uh, I, I haven't had an original thought for 30 years. The last original thought I had, I, I landed in jail. I'm stealing this from Rick Howard, who uh, works for iDefense. Um, and then he said, you know, this is part he always tells his kids, he goes, and anyway, and there was another aspect where when the scientists were trying to clean the machines, they got knocked off, they were assassinated. And the, his kids go, wow, dad, that's really cool. And, and he's like, wait a second, that means I could be knocked off. And like, yeah, we know, that's really cool. And it's like, well, wow, you know, the insurance isn't that much, kids. Um, but it's a game changer. I mean, you have destruction, physical destruction of a system. Now for law of armed conflict, you have to have necessity, proportionality, it's got to be a non discriminatory weapon, which means it's got to be a targeted weapon. So, you, know, you start looking at some of these aspects on life. You know, so, the discrimination aspect of it, it went out on Siemens boxes all over the place. Is that discriminatory or non discriminatory? So, and, you know, and, and as you look at it, you're like, well, wait a second, if I'm supposed to hit one target, I mean, so here's the aspect. Let's see, I got to knock out an intelligence building. And so I go, I'm flying over and I drop 30,000 bombs. And, and, you know, one of them's got to knock out that intelligence facility, but where are all the other ones landing? You know, or, or do they not go off? I've edge drop, you know, dropped mines all over a field. They won't go off, but one with the right guy walking over them, it will. So what is discriminatory? Now here's the fun aspect. This is very discriminatory because it was looking for that SCADA system, that Siemens machine with the Iranian subsystem and the Finnish aspect in there. And if it wasn't there, this thing goes off the box you know, June 24th, uh, 2012, if it was the 24th, but June 2012, it'd go away or just laid there dormant doing nothing. So it's a very discriminate device. Proportionality. I don't know. Which is better? Dropping a 20,000 pound bomb on the dang thing or knocking it out with a cyber attack? No deaths. Well, except for the, our fun computer scientists uh, on that aspect, but, um, so no deaths, just destruction. Very proportional to the threat being faced. Was there an imminent threat on that aspect? So another great library article just came out looking at anticipatory self-defense towards nuclear threats. You know, and again, it comes back to that aspect when you're dealing with weapons of mass destruction. What can I tell is, you know, massing at the border? What's gonna happen? So now I've got an enemy that says, you don't think you should exist. We're gonna wipe you off the map. So, you know, that's an interesting aspect of what you're faced with from that scenario. But in the cyber world and cyber attacks, which, again, going back to uh, Miko's conversation, yeah, those postings for the jobs, they're not secret anymore. The president said we're developing offensive cyber operations. We need people who can do that. We need to develop workforce, and we need people with certain skills. We're all doing it now. So, it's not a secret aspect anymore, but we need folks who can develop those skills for those targeted attacks, because now, we're all defending that domain the same way for many years we've defended airspace sea, and on that. Now, you've got a lot of things here that said, wow, well you just said a whole bunch of things that qualify, like sounds like it was a use of force, and it's an attack. Well, there's one thing missing. Iran didn't call it an attack. They didn't step up and say, we've been had a cyber attack. Why? I don't know. I mean, you know, we love that aspect when we're doing courtroom because when you ask, you know, do you know what they were thinking? Objection! You're on a speculation. It's really the only objection every lawyer can get. You know, because they teach you at first year law school, you can't tell what he's thinking, and we can't. But from that aspect, it was not a cyber attack because Iran did not call it a cyber attack. The Estonia and Georgia hacks, from that aspect. The reason those things, and, and, and we've talked to both of their councils for this, the reason those things weren't hacked is they said we couldn't tie it back to a nation state. And if you can't tie it back to a nation state, you can't call it a cyber attack. Because as I said, law of armed conflict applies between conflict between states, not individuals, from that aspect. So that's crime. And that's kind of one of the other aspects that we're dealing with over in the United States between cybersecurity, who has the lead. Well, the Department of Homeland Security has the lead for cybersecurity. In the United States for the government. And this is very important because, you know, law of armed conflict applies to the Department of Defense. At some point in time, in there, if the President wants to say, I've got something that's of scope, intensity, and duration, this is an attack, I'm under attack, that's when DOD would take the lead and defend the country. And then DHS would be in support. So we have to balance those two things so our right agency, the who, what, where, when, and why, is doing the right thing under the right authority at the right time. So that's kind of the aspects that we're looking at and we're moving forward. And international law is gonna be dealing with this to say, what is a use of force? What's not a use of force? And what are the things that you can do to respond to cyberspace operations? I believe we've got about five to 10 minutes left. Please, questions. What's on your mind? Things you want to talk and chat about. So you did say uh well you did say that you don't think the cyber war, the cyber Pearl Harbor is ah. not gonna happen. Why not? So the question was, why isn't the cyber Pearl Harbor gonna happen? Um, uh, it's it's according to Wired magazine and other people, um Richard Clark's book Cyber War was an absolute wonderfully written work of fiction. Um, now, the reason, the reason you work in government, this is apparently how it works in the United States, you work in government, you get some expertise, and then you go out and work for a defense contractor and you run around saying the sky is falling, sky is falling, sky is falling. Why? I have the answer. I will sell it to you. Come buy it from me. And then they make a whole bunch of money more. So you've got a lot of people running around saying the sky is falling. Richard Clark's job, God love him, never met the man, but his job was, Counterterrorism. I'm just kind of brainstorming here and thinking the counterterrorism guy doesn't walk around the office going, hey, things are great, hey, things are great, nothing's wrong, hey, everything's wonderful, this and thing's everything's great. You, your job is to ring the bell and say, we need to be prepared, we need to worry, we need to know what's going on. And guess what? He has to be right how many times to be proven like he's a genius? Once, just once, over 20 years. And so now they're running around saying, sky is falling, sky is falling, cyber Pearl Harbor. I'm a card-carrying member of uh, uh, a, a derriere hole, so, a, a, you know, uh, uh, I'll explain it to you in 1984, I'm a jerk. But, you know, from the aspect on this life, you know, I go, oh really, cyber Pearl Harbor, so we're going to have our Navy out in Pearl Harbor, and a bunch of ones and zeros are going to come through and blast the hell out of the, the hulls and they are going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. That's going to be kind of neat. Oh, you moron, you know what we're saying. Yeah, I do know what you're saying. You're a freaking idiot. If you think the banking system's gonna go down, planes are gonna drop out of the sky, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria, biblical proportion. Um, you know, I have confidence in my guys who are running our CERT, business people who are running the CERT, that if stuff starts happening, you know, we have the NSERP in the United States, the National Cyber Incident Response Plan. Nothing like, nothing like having a plan that sounds like a freaking bird. NSERP, NSERP. Um, and it sets up for what we're going to do. I guarantee you, all the formal people are going to meet up here, they're going to be talking about what's going to be, you know, they have to do. What's going to be happening? In the back room, my guys who all know each other are going to be picking up the phone going, What are you working on? We're working on this part over here. We broke this part of the code. What do you got? We got this over here. By the way, we were talking to these folks over here, and we talked to Microsoft, we talked to Cisco, we talked to NSA, we talked to the NTOC. They're all going to be talking and they're going to sit there and keep the system up. Why? Because they want to be great Americans, great Australians, great UK, you know, great because that's what they want to do. No, they're all frickin' hackers and it's a matter of pride. And they want to say, we're going to slam these bastards. We're going to get them. Because, like, you know, with, with, with all 13 root servers going down on March 30th, which I was worried because I was traveling on the 31st. You know, okay, so it's a matter of pride. I don't see of Pearl Harbor. We had 9-11. The financial sector was not lost. Those computers went down. I didn't lose, well, I don't have any money to lose anyways, but that's beside the point. But people didn't lose their money. It was still there, it was resilient. So the cyber Pearl Harbor ain't going to happen. What are the experts saying? It's going to be an enabling activity. You had where, you know, so let's see, go back to the day we fought on land and sea. If you own the sea, you own the world. Make England the world from that aspect. Now, cyber is going to be something that we're going to look at fighting in there too. I know what we've seen. Uh- Called third Munitions Act, uh, the export of you cryptographic know, products and whatnot. Um, do you think we might see something similar with export and um, you know the sales of cryptographic uh, exports? So, oh, you're talking about the export of hacks? Well, yeah. I mean, what's the stuff walking and selling an uh, export back to China? So the question is, we've seen—I'm going to paraphrase here—we've seen the illegal sales of weapons going out uh, of different places. Could we see the sale of codes or cyber weapons going outside? Uh, Oh, could you see them regulated? This aspect. Here's the fun aspect, Patrick. The fun aspect is from, from our the development of cyber weapons. They're regulated for the United States. Every weapon requires a weapons review to make sure that it it matches up and it's good with the law of armed conflict. So, from that aspect, is like I can't have dum-dum bullets. Dum-dum bullet is basically something I fire, and instead of going straight, it tumbles, and when it tumbles, it causes mass destruction and suffering. I'm about stuff that originates in the private sector. Okay, so so the the aspect of, you know, talking about the private sector developing cyber weapons that could be outsourced. So, a lot of larvae articles, a lot of threat briefs um, that are public knowledge out there are saying that's one of the aspects that they're concerned about is that while terrorist capabilities are relatively low, they could outsource it from that aspect and actually get folks to come do it. Which brings me back to my myth of the superuser. Myth of the superuser was a larvae article written by Paul Ohm, who was from DOJ, and he, he works at the University of Colorado now. So he's saying... Who's going to take it on the internet and who would want to? Criminals aren't going to do it because they need it up and running for financial purposes. Nation states aren't going to do it because they need it up and running for financial purposes. Terrorists. Terrorists could buy, could pay for it, and do some serious damage. But guess what? Their financiers, in my opinion, this is Bob Clark's opinion, their financiers also need the internet up and running so they can make money. And here's the fun aspect. They seem to know what their money is doing. So if a terrorist were to go and knock down part of the financial sector and it hurt their financiers, they're probably going to be pretty torqued about it. So the aspect of what's going to happen as far as the motivation. Now, Patrick, good point. You know, Could they decide to go after a SCADA system or something like that? Because I understand you know, in, in the heart of, of the United States is, is a state called Illinois, which is really lousy because my home state's right next to it and we all don't like each other. But be that, they suffered a, a SCADA system attack on their water treatment facility. Um, and the guy logged in from Russia and, and hacked the system when a- actually um, the guy was on vacation in Russia and I think I, you guys were talking about that and it was funnier than hell on the show. The guy was on vacation in Russia and, and remoted in because he got a phone call while he was on vacation. And the fake report, the wrong reports went out, everyone else was reporting it. So skate systems being hacked is a big thing that we're looking at now um, on that aspect so everyone's running around kind of trying to shore those things up. I've seen that I am out of time. If you want to come up and ask questions, I'll be hanging up here or over there. Um, thank you for your time and attention. I hope you got a nugget from this that you can take away from it and say, hey, there was something worthwhile in there. Uh, you know, if not, you know, come and I'll buy you a drink and you can blame me.